Democrats are furious at Donald Trump for tweeting that some of them should return to the hellholes from which they came. Representative Ilhan Omar nearly exploded when she heard about the tweet, but fortunately the TSA managed to surround her and take off her suicide belt. Nonetheless, the Somali refugee who was rescued from the hellscape of her native land and elevated to the level of congresswoman by her adopted country reacted angrily to the idea she should show gratitude to the United States. In a speech to CARE, the Council on Anti-American Islamic Revenge, Congresswoman Omar said, quote, Donald Trump is such a racist he thinks I should be forced to live in a toilet like Somalia just because I'm black, whereas when I'm finished with the United States, Americans of all colors will be able to live in a toilet like Somalia, unquote. Alexandria Occasional Cortex was also furious at Trump's tweet, saying, quote, it's just like that racist Trump to attack a woman of color by telling her to return to her home country. I was born in America, and I love this fascist state with its concentration camps and Nazi guards slaughtering children wholesale on the border because they hate brown people as much as anyone can love a country as horrific as this one, unquote. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been struggling to keep the radical young congresswomen from destroying the Democrat Party because she wants to ensure the Democrat Party can win elections and destroy the entire country. But all the same, she leapt to the women's defense as well, saying, quote, President Trump is trying to silence these people because they are women of color instead of silencing them because they're a bunch of loudmouth shrews who have no idea what they're talking about. And that's not fair, unquote. President Trump is not backing away from his tweet because backing away has become too painful after he's repeatedly shot himself in the foot. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. Well, you have to hand it to Donald Trump. The guy is a very stable genius without the very stable part. Yesterday, I said that I thought his tweets telling the squad to go back where they came from were not racist, but were ill-judged because they interrupted the Democrats while they were tearing each other apart in a vicious catfight. I'll stand by that. Trump does nothing to expand his base when he says nasty stuff that makes him look like a bully. On the other hand, it seems clear that Trump's strategy was to throw a wrench into Nancy Pelosi's attempt to control these four entitled radical know-nothings by forcing her and the rest of the party to defend them. And that went very well. Yesterday, the squad struck back by hitting Donald Trump right in the fist with their faces. After a press conference that showed the four babes of the apocalypse for what they are, even I began to wonder if they shouldn't go back where they came from although that's actually Westchester. The Democrats were right about one thing. It all comes down to racism. And the question America is going to have to answer now is whose racism is worse. Even though I don't think Trump is a racist, I think he sees himself as just a practical fix-it guy who wants all Americans to thrive. I have to admit the go-back-where-you-came-from line does actually have racist connotations in the same way Ilhan Omar's It's All About the Benjamins remark partakes of anti-Semitic cliches. It's a small planet. It doesn't hurt us to refrain from screaming slurs at one another. True racism, the philosophy that race determines something about our moral being, is a sin and should be denounced when it, arri when it arises. But in politics, as in poker, you can only play the cards you're dealt. And we have been dealt the race card. The who is more racist game is the game we have to play. The left has transformed racism into a meaningless political Trump, and Trump has trumped them back with it. In fact, to really drive this metaphor into the ground, yesterday was like the Texas Hold'em World Race Card Championship. Who won? Can anybody win this game? Let's talk about it. But first, let us talk about 
Noom. I, this is a really cool app. I really like it because I have to I have to watch my weight. I have to exercise. You know, I'm like an exercise freak. And Noom just helps you out. It's, it's a program for all your health and weight loss needs. You don't have to hunt for training apps or workout apps or calorie trackers or meal plans. It's all together on Noom. It's a habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. For instance, I'm a guy who has to weigh himself every day. I have to do it. If I don't do it, I just assume that I'm 16 years old and I look great. But if I step on a scale, it reminds me. Noom will help you with that. It's based in psychology. It teaches you why you do the things you do. It arms you with tools to break bad habits and replace them with good ones. Noom is not a diet. It's a healthy and easy to stick to way of life. No food is good or bad or off limits. I hate that. I hate when they tell me I can't have something. Noom teaches moderation and can be used in conjunction with many pre-existing popular diets if you want. And if you go off track, there's no shaming. I will just personally show up at your house and laugh at you. No, I'm joking. They <laughs> just give you tips to help you get back on track. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N as in Nancy, O-O-M as in Mary, dot com slash Claven. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash Claven to start your trial today. That's Noom.com slash Claven, the late last weight loss program you'll need before you find out how to spell Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So here I am in, uh, where am I? I'm in Moscow, Idaho. I'm here for the uh, called conference where I will be uh, uh, condemned to defending uh, the homosexuals from evil Jesus. That's going to be my role. Don't write to me. It's just a joke, but I will be going there to argue for a little more tolerance uh, against people who are, they're actually wonderful people. I've been talking to some of them. They're great, great guys, but we read the Bible a little differently. And I suppose we're going to be talking about that right before the uh, ritual burning of the converted Jew, which they do every year. Uh, so again, again, don't write to me. I'm just joking. Uh, so, you know, Trump's remark, I, I do have to say that it does have racist connotations. We can't say that when Ilhan Omar says it's all about the Benjamins, that that's anti-Semitic because it partakes of Jewish cliches. But when he says, go back where you came from, that is something immigrants have heard in this country for a long time. And Trump knew it. He knew it. And the way I know he knew, he knew it is because he reframed it. He didn't apologize. Trump never apologized for anything, but he did reframe uh, what he was going to say. So this is uh, Trump saying, to, uh, get out. He changed it yesterday uh, when he, he said it, put it another way. All I'm saying is, if they want to leave, they can leave, John. They can leave. I mean, I look at the one, I look at Omar. I don't know. I never met her. I hear the way she talks about Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda has killed many Americans. She said, you can hold your chest out. You can, when I think of America, huh? when I think of Al-Qaeda, I can hold my chest out. When she talked about the World Trade Center being knocked down, some people, you remember the famous some people, uh, these are people that, in my opinion, hate our country. Now, you can say what you want, but get a list of all of the statements they've made. And all I'm saying that if they're not happy here, they can leave. They can leave. And you know what? I'm, I'm sure that there'll be many people that won't miss them. But they have to love, they have to love our country. They're Congress people. And I never used any names. Are you but okay these are people, people quiet, 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 quiet. Are you okay with people quiet. thinking your tweets are racist, sir? Quiet. These I'm are people that if they don't like it here, they can leave. And I'd be, I'd, I don't know who's going to miss them, but I guess some people will. 
<laughs> so that's that's Trump, and you t- and that's a different thing to say. If you don't like it here, you can leave. Is a different thing to say than go back where you came from, right? So he he got it. He knew that he had hadn't thought that one quite through. And it, Trump, he never apologizes, but he did change it. And people keep saying he doubled down, but in fact he didn't. He backed up. He backed off that, and he made it more specific too. Play the the next clip of that because he made it more specific who he was talking about. When I hear people speaking about how wonderful Al-Qaeda is, when I hear people talking about some people, some people with the World Trade Center, some people, no, not some people, much more than some people. When I hear the statements that they've made, and in one case, you have somebody that comes from Somalia, which is a failed government, a failed state, who left Somalia, who ultimately came here, and now is a congresswoman who's never happy, says horrible things about Israel, hates Israel, hates Jews, hates Jews. It's very simple. And if the Democrats want to wrap their bows around this group of four people, one of them kept Amazon out of New York, tens of thousands of jobs, would have been a great thing. And she kept Amazon from going, would have been a good deal. I mean, could he have made better? Maybe. But tens of thousands of jobs. And New York has not been the same since that happened. So that's Ilan Omar and AOC he goes after, and he knows he knows what the press is going to do. You hear that woman yelling. She thinks that's what a reporter does, screams at the president, interrupts him with uh, charges of racism. I mean, obviously, that's just what an activist does, and that's what most of these reporters now are. But he, And he knows that's going to happen. So, of course, the... We'll just use one example. We'll take Brian Stelter from CNN. Uh, they rush to call him racist, uh, to tar Trump as racist because that's what they do. <laughs> well, listen to this first. Listen to Stelter. It's 2019. We're two and a half years in the Trump presidency, and his racism is becoming more obvious, more frightening. There are millions of Americans, black and brown Americans, who know exactly what he means when he says, go back to where you came from. They've heard those words on the schoolyard, behind their backs at work. That kind of racism that Americans have been fighting against for decades is coming from the president's Twitter feed. There's no bigger story in the country right now. And I want to relate this to the media by pointing out that the ground has been softened for this stuff from the president by this collection of pro-Trump bloggers, radio hosts, television stars who somehow think it's acceptable to attack fellow Americans like this. <laughs> what I love about the left is they always haul out this old racist thing as if it's new, as if wh- how courageous they are to have come up. Who would have ever thought that we would actually be calling people racist? But now we must. Now we must. But they've been doing it for 50 years and they don't know that it just lands like a clunk. But he's calling all of us racist. That's the other thing. They are calling all of us racist. And it's all about the fact that he said, you know, go back where you came from instead of what he said later, which is which was his correction, even though he wouldn't admit it, which was just saying, if you don't like it here, leave, which is a different thing altogether. But but again, Trump walked into that. I, like I said, he shouldn't have said what he said. He shouldn't have said it quite the way he did say it. Let's uh, pause for just a second and talk about ExpressVPN. I am online all the time, and I never. I don't like to think about the fact that people could hack me. They could take all my information. They could take everything. I don't have a lot to hide, but still, I don't want people playing around in my in my computer. I don't want them stealing my uh, uh, identity. I don't want them stealing my uh, payment information. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone, and then when you use the internet, just like you normally would, 
it, it encodes your information so nobody can get at it. You download the app, click to connect, connect, and you're protected. I never go online without ExpressVPN. It costs less than seven bucks per month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. ExpressVPN uses new cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure there are no logs of what you do online. It's time to stop hackers, big brother, and internet companies from grabbing all your data. Take back your online privacy like I did with ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Clavin. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S. V is in Victor, P-N.com slash Clavin for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Clavin to learn more. Like, how do you spell Clavin? There's no ease, no ease in Clavin. I just make it look this incredibly easy. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So the thing is, right, then the squad comes back and they strike back. They're going to hit back and they hold a press conference. And meanwhile, the press is supporting Trump by saying he's lying that Ilan Omar supported al-Qaeda. But you know, there's that old tape of her in this interview laughing about a class she took in terrorism and comparing al-Qaeda to the United States. Listen to her. The thing that was interesting in the class was... Every time the, the, the professor said Al-Qaeda, he sort of like, his shoulders yeah. went up and, you know. Yeah, he's in command like, here. Al-Qaeda, you know, hospital. He's an expert. And it, was, <laughs> and it was, you know, as What's his it, name? As, what about his oh, name on the not, We, we are not saying his name. Uh, yeah. you, you probably get to see him on, on CNN. And, well, yeah, you know. of course. I love those guys. But, you know, but, but, but it, is, it is that you don't say America with an yeah. intensity. You yeah. don't say England with yeah. an intensity. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't say um, the army with an intensity. Qaeda. <laughs> but you say these, these names because you, you want that, that word to carry weight. You want it to leave something. With, yeah. with it has a cultural meaning, not just exactly. I mean, that is an amazing soundbite. I know it's been played a lot, but that's an amazing soundbite of her saying, why should you say Al-Qaeda with all that meaning and all that weight, but not the U.S., not Britain, not the army? As if, as if A, we were doing the same things to people, slaughtering civilians at random, but also B, as if we stood for the same thing. But that's exactly the thing that the left uh, confused confuses, and especially these four babes of the apocalypse, what they confuse is identity with ideology. They think that there is something essential about your skin color, about where you came from. They're the ones who are really in, uh, imbued with this racism, and they don't understand that it's a matter of ide ideology. Let's just play the next clip, which is not played often enough. Same interview where the guy says it's not fair the way Muslims are treated after a terrorist attack. But when a non-white commit of violence or misbehave, we condemn the whole culture. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when a white condemned, we, we just go to psychoanalysis, that he, were, he didn't have a girlfriend when he was growing up. Yeah. It's like he, he's not capable of committing violence because he's white. Yeah, so, so that, that, that's an interesting point. When you have an individual inside of, um, a, in, a, in a Western society that goes on and does commit like mass murder, we have mass shootings that yeah. happen constantly yeah. here. We investigate that person and yeah. what has driven them to commit that act. Yeah. When an act is committed by these Muslim, you know, terrorists, what we investigate is that whole community. Yeah. We investigate that whole faith. We investigate that whole society. 
But that, of course, is garbage. When a guy uh, kills somebody, when a white man kills somebody in the name of white supremacy, we all denounce white supremacism. It is an inherently violent ideology. And when somebody kills somebody because they were bullied or because they're schizophrenic, we all know that that's a different kind of thing. But when somebody kills somebody in the name of an ideology like Islamism, we denounce that ideology. And we are all asking, <coughs> we're not allowed to debate it because we're accused of uh, uh, Islamophobia. A, an idea that doesn't even exist. There is no such thing as Islamophobia. Nobody has irrational fear of Islam. We are concerned about the violence that appears wherever Islam is in the majority or wherever it's on the border with some other faith and the violence always seems to appear. And we want to know, is that inherent to Islam or is that a cancerous version of Islam called Islamism? We don't know that yet because we haven't let the experts duke it out in front of us. We just aren't sure. And so that's a two different things. And she was asked at this press conference they gave the squad gave yesterday, she was asked how she feels about Al-Qaeda. <laughs> Listen to her long uh, response. You might have noticed how when he said, go back to where you came from, there was an uproar um, through the um, through all of our communities, because every single person who's brown and black at some point in their life in this country heard that. Now, when he made the comment, uh, I know that every single Muslim who has lived in this country and across the world has heard that comment. And so I will not dignify it with an answer because I know that every single Islamophobe, every single person who is hateful, who is uh, driven um, by an ideology of othering, as this president is, uh, rejoices in us responding to that and us defending ourselves. I do not expect every time there is a white supremacist who attacks or there is a, uh, a white man who kills in, uh, in a school or in a movie theater or um, in, uh, uh, in a mosque or in a synagogue, I don't expect my white community members to respond on whether they love that person or not. See, that she was asked to denounce al-Qaeda. She was asked, will you denounce al-Qaeda? And that was a long no. That was basically her saying, no, I will not denounce al-Qaeda because she did it again. She confused when a, when a white man goes in and kills somebody. Obviously, you don't ask another white man because it's not a matter of race. When a white nationalist or a white supremacist goes in and kills somebody, damn right you can go to a Nazi or a, a white supremacist and say, do you support that kind of violence? Of course you can. The, the thing that connects her to Islamists is a creed, a religion. And we want to know, we are concerned because of all the violence in the Muslim world, which is all over the world, against other Muslims, against Christians, against non, uh, against secular people, Buddhists, against everybody. It can't be everybody else's fault. We want to know, is that inherent to their religion or is there a virgin, version of the religion that is not violent? So that is a different thing than just her being black or being white. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about creeds. And the thing is, Adam uh, Credo at the Washington Free Beacon writes this piece. He says, Democratic freshman uh, 
uh, Ilhan Omar has been holding a series of secret fundraisers with groups that have been tied to the support of terrorism, appearances that have been closed to the press and hidden from public view. The content of these speeches given to predominantly Muslim audiences remains unknown, prompting some of Omar's critics to express concern about the type of rhetoric she is using before these paying audiences, particularly in light of the lawmakers' repeated use of anti-Semitic tropes in public. Omar recently spoke in Florida at a private event hosted by Islamic Relief. Now, they were a charity organization. They were long said to have deep ties to groups that advocate terrorism against Israel. Over the weekend, she will appear at another private event in California that is hosted by CARE California PAC, a political action committee affiliated with CARE, a group that has been named as an unindicted co-conspirator conspirator in a massive terror funding incident. In 2016, Ilhan Omar asked a judge to show compassion on some suspects uh, who had been part of ISIS. Uh, and then, you know, uh, and then she wrote a letter to the judge uh, telling him basically to have compassion on these people. You know, it's circumstantial, I admit, but it adds up and it really does, especially that interview where she's laughing at the idea that uh, terrorists uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, should be treated different than the United States of America or uh, Britain or the United States Army. Again, again, the thing that connects them is the ideology. And what we want to know, is that the ideology she supports? Does she support Sharia law, which I think is the dividing line between Muslims we can live with and Muslims we can't live with? Uh, Sharia law is an atrocity. Sharia, Sharia law is a, you know, the... Uh, British Anglo-American jurisprudence, let's say, is one of the great cathedrals of Western thought. And Sharia law is the opposite of that. It is a vengeful, mean, small-minded, ugly form of law that we don't want coming anywhere near us. And we want we have every right, every right to say to somebody who is coming into our country, uh, as Ilan Omar did. And, you know, this is the other thing. Ilan Omar, uh, David French was writing yesterday that she, she doesn't have to be any more grateful to America than someone who was born here. And Technically, that's true, but what kind of person wouldn't be when you come out of a hellscape like Somalia and America takes you in, nurtures you, elevates you to Congress, and you don't feel grateful for that? You, there is something terribly, terribly wrong with you. Alexandria Occasional Cortex, she was also at this thing. She did the same thing. She's, it's about ideology. Again, they're all complaining. They're all, they all have brownish skin, and they're all saying, oh, we're women of color, we're women of color, as if there were no other people of color in Congress, which isn't true anyway. But, but they're all complaining that this is what it is, but it's the ideology. Listen to what AOC had to say uh, about this country. The first note that I want to tell children across this country is that no matter what the president says, this country belongs to you. Mm -hmm. And it belongs to everyone. And today, that notion, that very notion was challenged. This weekend, that very notion was challenged. So I am not surprised when, a, when the president says that four sitting members of Congress should, quote, go back to their own country when he has authorized raids without warrants on thousands of families across this country. I am not surprised that he used, uses the rhetoric that he does when he violates international human rights and takes thousands of children away from their families. I am not surprised that he has turned our public education system under the leadership of Betsy DeVos into a cash cow to enrich himself and his friends. I am not surprised when he corrupts via the Secretary of Transportation. I am not surprised at what he's doing. 
but I also know that we're focused on making it better. Now, AOC, I, I've said many times she's an ignoramus. She doesn't know anything, but she's a talented politician. And you can hear the way she masters rhetoric and the way she uses repetition and the way she gets a good rant going on. But what did she actually say? What did she actually say? She actually said, this land belongs to everyone. I mean, it's not this land is your land, this land, land is my land, written by the communists. The, the song written by the communists. It's not that. It's this land is your land. This land is everybody's. And then when she goes after Trump, she goes after him for enforcing the law, that Congress of which she is a member, the law that they made. That's what she goes after him for. She's not saying this land belongs to all Americans. She's saying this land belongs to everybody, even if you have broken the law to get in. And that's nonsense. That's nonsense. And this is what Trump is standing up against. And that's why that's why what these people are saying is so inherently racist, because they direct you to the color of their skin to hide the content of their ideology. That is what that is inherently a racist thing to do. And Trump, this is why people love Trump and let, let him get away. Like I said, I thought his original tweet, go back where you came from, did have racist connotations, even though I don't think he himself is a racist. It did have racist connotations. But the reason people on the right keep forgiving him for this and letting him get off the hook is because the left has been so racist so long and has used racism as a mask for their ideology, for their crappy ideology. And so this is this this press conference, as far as I was concerned, was a disaster for the Democrats. It actually did do everything that Trump wanted it to do. I think Trump is being short-sighted. I think come 2020, these things are going to come back to bite him and they're going to make it hard for him to expand his base. They may, on the other hand, keep some Democrats home. And Rashida Tlaib played right into his hand. Again, they hit him in the fist with their face. It's like Rashida Tlaib, she made her statement. And Nancy Pelosi, you could almost hear her groaning in the background. Sadly, this is not the first, nor will it be the last time we hear disgusting, bigoted language from the president. We know this is who he is, and we know that he and his administration are constantly engaged in actions that harm residents and American people in our country. Many members of Congress have called for his impeachment because of his utter disregard and disrespect of the United States Constitution. And despite this and other many attempts to distract us, I remain focused. We remain focused on holding him accountable to the laws of this land and accountable to the American people. I urge House leadership, many of my colleagues, to take action to impeach this lawless president today. You know, it's interesting, uh, this guy from uh, uh, Rebel Media, King Bext, went after these uh, congresswomen as they were walking down the hall and shouted at them if they would denounce the attack in uh, uh, Tacoma, uh, Washington. A guy, a terrorist, basically uh, attacked um, an, an ICE center, uh, the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, he was killed, but he had done this before. He set fire to one vehicle in the parking lot and was trying to ignite a propane tank when he was confronted by four police officers who opened fire on him. Uh, he was arrested last year for assaulting a police officer. And this guy, uh, Bex, went after these congresswomen and asked them, to denounce this act, and they wouldn't do it. So when they're talking about the laws of the land, they're only talking about the laws they like. So what is what is the problem here with all this? You know, uh, Trump Trump using the race card and the uh, the squad coming back with the race card. The problem with all of this is that the fight itself 
is in fact illiberal. You know, I, you'll never, very rarely hear me uh, quote David Brooks uh, in a positive way, but he wrote a column that I really agreed with today in the New York Times, a former newspaper, called What Pelosi Versus the Squad Really Means. And he says it really is not a question of uh, moderates versus the left. And as I said yesterday, Pelosi is just as left as these guys are. But he says deep down, it's a conflict of worldviews. He says no matter how moderate or left, Democrats of a certain age were raised in an atmosphere of liberalism. And he means philosophical liberalism. He doesn't mean liberal versus conservative. He means the liberalism that I think we all embrace. He says liberals prefer constant incremental reform to sudden revolution. Liberalism loves sympathy, suspects rage, and detests cruelty. Politics is inevitably a dialogue under liberal, liberalism between partial truths. Compromise is a virtue, not a sign of cowardice. Means determines ends. If you win power through rhetorical violence and by hating those who disagree, your regime will be angry and destructive. Liberalism arose out of the fact that political revolutions, while exciting at the outset, usually end up in brutality, dictatorship, and blood working within the system is best. And you've heard me say a million times that I'm a conservative because I'm a liberal, because the left has become illiberal. They're the ones who damaged our liberal institutions, our universities, they turned them into propaganda factories, our arts, they turned them into leftist propaganda. And Trump, the thing about Trump is that he's a creation of those kinds of institutions. He's a creation of the leftist culture that has been the dominant culture for the last 50 years. And he fights just like a leftist. And that's why we like him. That is what is exciting about him is that he turns the left on his ear. When they use all their dirty tricks, he uses them right back and they don't know what to do about it. And it's fun to watch. But the problem for the rest of us is that liberalism, true liberalism, which has worked pretty well for 250 years and is actually a beautiful thing that the, when I talk about cathedrals uh, that the West has created, liberalism is one of those cathedrals. And I don't want to see it destroyed like Tokyo when Godzilla and Gorgo are fighting. Okay. So it, it is, it is a problem. You know, it's like, I, I, I really dislike, uh, the philosophy of the never Trumpers, because I feel that they're pearl clutchers. I feel that they don't play the cards they're dealt. I feel that they did not understand the situation we were in. But we also have to understand when fights like this happen, and these are dirty, mudslinging fights that all of us are sort of caught in the crossfire. All right, we've got uh, Michael Knowles. You may have heard of him. I know he's on the run, but we've got him with us to discuss a really interesting topic. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Uh, come over to dailywire.com. Tomorrow, is it tomorrow? We've got. Uh, Yes, tomorrow we have got uh, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific. We have got uh, Backstage Live, and we will all be there, Mr. Shapiro and Monsieur Knowles, and we'll even bring the God King, Jeremy Boring. We will lower him, deus ex machina, and onto the stage to guide the proceedings. So do not miss that. Uh, tomorrow, come over to dailywire.com and subscribe so you can ask questions during Backstage Live. And of course, tomorrow is the mailbag. I forgot all about it, the mailbag. Get those questions in. If you subscribe, it's a lousy 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks for the entire year, and you can ask me anything you want tomorrow. Uh, actually, it'll be Thursday. I won't be on tomorrow. It'll be the Backstage Live. Then Thursday is the mailbag. So send in your questions about religion, your personal life, uh, whatever, politics. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life for the better. You'll find out on Thursday. All right, great talk with Knowles about these fake controversies that Hollywood is ginning up uh, with their casting. Here it is. Knowles, 
How you doing? Good to see you. Hey, I hope you're ready for your new part uh, in Another Kingdom. You know? I am so excited. I mean, <laughs> it's very it, cool. Yeah. my yeah. acting career has been dead for several years, except when you resurrected through the magic of this story, which I I can't wait for. I haven't read it yet. No, nobody's read it yet. Nobody, my wife, you my wife is read it. Yeah. It, uh, it sounds incredible. And I told you, every time I go to a college campus or I'm speaking at some yeah. event, people come up to me. They, they say, Michael, I love your show. I, say, oh, do you catch? They'll say, no, no, no Another Kingdom. <laughs> I don't, what's I, the Michael Knowles I have a lot to answer for, keeping your acting career alive. I'm not sure. <laughs> your wife may have something to say. I can't wait for it, though. I mean, I, I've actually, I get letters sometimes about it, about yeah. how the, the story really meant something to people. No, I get those too. It's amazing. And, well, yeah. I love when I get it because, I, you know, I didn't. <laughs> oh, no, you bring it to life. You actually, Thank you. I hate I to say it, it, but you do an excellent job. It's. Yeah. I love, you know, to quote Ian McKellum on how, how one is an actor. I get a sheet of paper with words on it. I read them. And that's my job. That's it. That's all I've done. It's really, I'm really pleased to do it. It's a great, nice work if you can get it. So speaking of our friends in Hollywood, where they, they hate us both, mm-hmm. they, they've invented this new thing, this kind of fake hoax thing. That's uh, not fake hoax, fake controversy. Yeah. Thing. What is it? I think John Nolte called it like a hoax traversy. The hoax traversy. <laughs> I call it a non-traversy. A non-traversy. Okay. Yeah. Explain this. This is this new thing. I see it on Twitter all the time. Well, you see, for instance, yeah. Disney is going to cast a black woman in the role of live action Little Mermaid. What? <laughs> this, according yeah. to conservatives, black people can't be mermaids, according to liberals. <laughs> now, I don't know, because it was trending. Yeah. Hashtag not my area. I mean, wait, have you ever seen a black mermaid? Well, in, in, you know, though, actually, one time, uh, it, Christopher Columbus on his voyage to America <laughs> yes. thought he saw a mermaid. Really? And now, yes, now historians think he saw some kind of like sea creature, like yeah, a dolphin right. or a manatee or something. Which doesn't have white skin. It doesn't have black skin exactly, but it is on the darker side. I don't know. I mean, I, this is above my pay grade. So, so I did hear about this. A very beautiful black actress uh, yes. is going to be the little mermaid. Not Halle Berry, but someone whose name sounds like that, Halle that, Berry. And, yeah, and she looks re- really great and all that. Was anybody upset about this? Not My Ariel was trending on Twitter. So okay. I said, gosh, who are these? Yeah. It doesn't really bother me. Yeah. Who are these conservatives who are so upset about Not My Ariel? It was all leftists tilting at the windmills of this uh, a conservative, this really? faux conservative outrage. Yeah. yeah, it was all leftists saying, how dare these conservatives be offended by a black Ariel? I really didn't see any wow. people wow. who so were actually yeah. offended by it. There is a kind of irony to it too, though, because the left tells us you can't appropriate anybody's uh, culture. Yeah. Right? You're not allowed, you can't, yeah. if you wear a Moana costume, it's a hate crime, right? But The Little Mermaid is a, it's a Danish story by a Danish writer right, set right. in Denmark. Yeah. So I, I see there is actually some sort of argument if you're, if you buy into all the other leftist identity politics. Well, right. If you buy into their politics, there's an argument, then but there in is. our politics, there's not. Yeah. But, but I think the reason why conservatives weren't actually offended by this yeah. is because uh, mermaids don't have a racial quality to them because they're mythical creatures. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Black Panther sequel where he's played by Keanu Reeves, you know. <laughs> That's right. So you've got the black aerial thing. I, I do think there is a little bit of this irritation with Hollywood. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not writing new stories. Right. They're just rehashing old stories and giving it some kind of PC angle. That is kind of bad, you know. Right? I mean, there was this kind of fake story about the new James Bond where they made it sound like the new oh, James yeah. Bond was going to be a black woman, you know. This then was, we read story. Yeah, it's not. I mean, because they said that the there's going to be a black 007. Yeah. 
There have been, 007 has lost his number many times. Right, right, right. right. I mean, it, it, this is obviously a gimmick. And what the left was doing is they're dangling this. They said, <laughs> are you going to be angry, conservatives? And conservatives and, don't but, care. But there is a side to it where you sort of think like, you know, if, if you want a black female heroine, come up with something as good as James Bond. Right. right. <laughs> Just write any new story. Any new story would be nice. Yeah, yeah. this is what they do. And, you know... Th- they even do it with the black characters, so that we had Black Panther, right? And this right. we were all, to, oh, finally, a black superhero. There have been many black superheroes. Many black superheroes. And, and they're taking these things that nobody cares about. Like right. they do, there's one, the Terminator they're doing it with. Yes. Another, there's another one of these things. There's going to be a female Terminator. There, yeah. But, Everyone's really upset, according to liberals or something. <laughs> nobody ca- we, we don't even but, care about Terminator anymore. But I mean, what, what's her name? Sarah Connors, is that her name? She was always this kind of muscular, you know, after the first one, right. where she was actually a realistic woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, she was always this kick-ass action hero. Nobody cared. Of course. Yeah. I mean, and this is, I think the bigger question is, in 1994, The Lion King is another one. There, oh, yes. I, I was so glad I got a reprieve from all these bad movies this weekend because <laughs> yeah. none of them are out yet. They're all just about to be out. Right. And in 1994, The Lion King comes out. <coughs> great, great movie. This yeah. is a great movie. Yeah. I mean, this is like the culture, I guess, was still alive at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Disney was still churning out real movies. Now they're just remaking all of their old movies. And making them worse. And making them worse. Yeah. I mean, Beauty and the Beast is now like Beauty and the Beast, but a little more feminist. And the only thing that was feminist about it was she was kind of nasty. She was, yes, like, she, like in, she wasn't that likable. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in the first one, she's adorable and you love her, and you right. know she tames the beast like she's. Uh-oh. Wow, uh-oh. those are the gods of Hollywood are coming after us. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, wait, the just books a fall from the ceiling. But but yeah, but go ahead. Same thing with Aladdin. Aladdin, yeah. they remade. Aladdin was a fine. I mean, it's not a great story, yeah. but it's a fine story. And then they remade it and just a little more feminist. And they also, yes, yeah, so it was more feminist. And they also cut out the scene where they were going to cut off her hand for stealing. Right. So it was a little less less Muslim. L- not- <laughs> a little more feminist, a little less Muslim. Those two often go together, by the way. Exactly. That's, no. But it's it's it is tedious because conservatives are are we're not offended by black mermaids. Right. We're not offended. Yeah. We just I, don't care. Who cares? Right? Yeah. But we are offended, I think, by this tedious, annoying PC rehashing, taking old things and then just like making them a little worse. And and even, you know, they even edited a scene out of Toy Story 2, an old movie. It was a little scene apparently that violated some Me Too idea. You know, that really frightens me. Yeah. Like, I, apparently they went back, I don't know this, but they went back into E.T. and took out guns and replaced them with, with flash flashlights. Digital. Yeah. I mean, that really bothers me. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to, that Soviet thing of erasing history. They went back into Star Wars and Han no longer shot first at is Boba that, Fett. Is that true? Yes. In real Star Wars, Han Solo shoots the guy who's trying to kill him. Yeah. And in the redone uh-huh. version of it, the killer shoots first because Han, he can't shoot first. That's awful. I know. That is awful. I mean, they really should keep things the way that, you know, it's, it's fine if you want to change the future, but to change the past is just lying. Well, you this know? is, the, you know, you talk all the time about how the movie business is, is done. Yeah. And now there's yeah. just some, some, we're going to go into something new, I guess, right. and look forward to that. Yeah. But that is the issue is when, when you're constantly innovating, when you're, when you're making new stories, when you're taking old, old <laughs> novels and turning them into stories or whatever, yeah. that is uh, the sign of a healthy industry. Right. When all you can do it is go back and just edit the past. I mean, we see it in academia. We see it in actually the study of history itself. Sure. And it makes me fear for the country because we're not really looking forward in America anymore. 
we're looking backward and yeah. erasing Thomas Jefferson. It's, it's, it's Orwell. It really Washington. is Orwellian. But, but go back to the Lion King for a minute, because there was a piece in the Washington Post, which I think it was uh, Michael Knowles, some guy named Michael it Knowles, who called it the yeah. stupidest piece he'd ever read in yes, the Washington Post. Yes, I saw that on now, Fox News. Now, that, that's kind of a little hyperbolic there, the stupidest piece in the Washington Post. I would think would just be rude grunts and kind of like <laughs> drooling. <laughs> that would have been more intelligent yeah, than this piece. Really? Wow. Okay. Yes. It, this piece said that the Lion King is a fascist movie. Okay. The new one and the yeah. old one. And, and, the, and, the, and the old one. And the original is fascist. And the reason it's fascist yeah. is because there's political order and all the, the animals in the kingdom obey the, the lion. <laughs> because he's the king. Well, it's a, it's, they're living what, in a monarchy, right? How dare you? <laughs> Do you I mean, this is the, the basic premise of the, the piece is that monarchy is fascism. That every, basically every form of government other than a radical, egalitarian, direct democracy is fascism. And it, part of it is that the, the, we've defined fascism down into nothing. And the, right. left, the left knows like five words, racist, sexist, bigot, fascist, <laughs> and kombucha. I don't know. And so they, that's all they can just regurgitate. Avocado toast. Things. Avocado <laughs> toast. That's another two words. Yeah. But so they say it's about fascism. It's not about fascism. The Lion King is about Hamlet. The Lion King yeah. is about Genesis. The Lion King is about Exodus. The left doesn't have any of those cultural references though, mm. because they're basically right. completely uneducated other right. than their narrow ideology. The piece was actually sort of racist too because it compared black people to hyenas. And it actually implied that black <laughs> skin is a sort of disability. It, it then, to because there's a, an obvious refutation of this argument, which is that the Lion King is the good guy and then Scar, who usurps power, who according to the Washington Post is, is the good guy. Scar is literally goose-stepping in the movie, right? You yeah, have all yeah, the yeah, bad yeah. guys goose-stepping. <laughs> right. And so he, the guy in Washington Post deals with this by saying, yes, but it's opposite day, practically. I mean, he, does, he says, well, there's goose-stepping, yeah. but it's really a misdirection from the true Nazism and fascism of the Lion King. Obviously, this is a, a very stupid <laughs> yeah, argument. Yeah. But what it betrays is, I mean, the guy who wrote it, You'd think he was like a flunky freshman in a bad writing seminar. Yeah. He was a professor at a university. What it, what it shows us is what the literary critic Harold Bloom called the school of resentment. Huh. We are do, when, in all of these rehashing and all of our, the way we look at our artistic history, we now approach it from the perspective of hating it. Yes. We say, yeah, what's, how sexist was it? <laughs> yeah. How racist was it? Whether, I mean, you know this, you've read every single book that's ever been written. <laughs> yeah. When you approach a work of literature, you're supposed to go in with a little awe, a little wonder. And love, you know, you want to hear what Shakespeare had to say to you from back in the, in the day. Right. You know? And now it's exactly the opposite. Yep, yep, yep. You look at it with resentment, with envy, with pride, no humility, no love at Absolutely. all. You know, the only thing that's hopeful about this to me, I always admired the left. They had this technique. I always admired their uh, their talent mm. for making us look bad. So what they would do is they would say, you know, you know, gay people should be accepted into society. And you go like, yeah, you know, you have a point there. That is, we have excluded gay people. Let's let them in. And they'll say, well, they, they should be able to have relationships, you, you know, uh, yeah, legal okay. relationships. Go, okay, sure. let's call them marriage. Well, it's not really marriage, but, oh, you're a bigot. Yeah. So whatever, <laughs> where, wherever they find that limit. So then you say, all right, all right. We'll mar- call it marriage. marriage. We'll redefine <clears throat> marriage. Children have to be butchered to, to, to turn them into different. You go, no. And they, no. You, you bigot. They you could bigot. always find the place where they could call us a bigot. But now they're kind of losing the game because yeah. they've pushed everything so far that 
in order to call us bigots, you basically have to turn a mermaid. You know, you have to basically say somebody complained on Twitter where everybody is, right? right? Somebody complained about a mermaid turning black and you go like, ah, shut up. You, in, <laughs> in order for them to pursue this line of argument, yeah. they have to turn Simba into Hitler. <laughs> I know, I That's know. not a credible really, argument. They're really losing. They must be losing the game. Anyway, it's good to see you and uh, see. we'll get back to another kingdom soon. I can't wait. <laughs> All right, thanks. All right, final reflection. I'm running out of time, but let me say, you'll very rarely hear me say anything good about the New York Times, a former newspaper, but they're doing an excellent job of covering this Jeffrey Epstein case and exposing all the people who were involved with this guy. And the thing is, it is a picture of a an elite that has just gone bad. When he after uh, Epstein got out of jail for prostitution, but he was obviously uh, he was accused of all these of abusing all these young people. Uh, Katie Couric and George Stephanopoulos uh, went to a party at his mansion with uh, Prince Andrew. Uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk were at a party with him. I mean, it's a, just a depiction of an elite that has gone terribly, terribly wrong and deserves to be dislodged and replaced by people with actually some kind of sense of normalcy and morals. And I, it's something I want to be talking about more. Like I said, I'm running out of time, but it's something I want to be talking about more how deeply this web of child abuse extends in American society and in elite society, you know, because they pick on the Catholic Church, but this is really, all the Catholic Church has done is sunk to the level of the uh, the American elite, and we really have to talk about it more. I have to stop. I'm off tomorrow, but there is a backstage, and then on Thursday, I'll be here with the mailbag, so get your questions in. Ask me about anything you want. Go on the dailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Claven podcast, hit that mailbag symbol. And if you're a subscriber, you can ask me about anything you want. And all my answers are guaranteed 100% correct. It's almost like some, like some kind of miracle or something. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven show. I'll see you tomorrow backstage and Thursday here again. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. The four horsewomen of our political apocalypse, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Diana Presley, have given themselves a new nickname. We will examine our national suicide squad and the misguided conservatives who are defending them. Then more men beat women at women's sports, Biden's campaign keeps going nowhere, and Al Green proposes a convenient strategy to redeem America from her original sin. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.